Many years ago, I was employed in Asia flying an ATR-72212. This aircraft has a gross weight of 22,000 kilograms and carries 72 passengers and two cabin crew in addition to the two tech crew. This day's flying involved four sectors starting and ending at our home base. It was the monsoon season and the weather forecast indicated bad weather and minimums all round. The first three sectors went without incident. However, the takeoff for the final sector was a bit different than expected. We had boarded the passengers and our ground weight was around 20,000 kilograms from memory, on the limit for this airfield. Please ensure baggage is safely stored in the overhead locker or under the seat in front of you. This airfield was about 5,000 feet AMSL, was slightly undulating, narrow by most standards, and had piles of gravel laid all around the runway, ready for building a new runway at some stage in the future. After receiving the manifest and load and trim sheets, the first officer and I examined it together, set the trim for takeoff, set the V-speeds, and when the door was closed, we fired up the left engine. The right engine was running with the prop rack on to provide power for the lighting, etc., on board. Door secure. Check. Flaps. Checked. Airspeed set. Checked. Takeoff configuration. Checked. Okay. At the time, all company pilots were flying around 120 hours per month. And as we had been doing this for some time, we were all suffering from chronic fatigue. The aviation laws in this country did not have any rules for duty time, so we were worked pretty hard. A third day in a row. Yeah, it looks like we might go over 10 hours of duty for today again. Yeah, I know. This is my fourth day. I taxied out and lined up after having briefed the FO on the takeoff. I then opened the throttles and pushed them forward into the takeoff detent. When they are in the detent, you have set 90% power, which is enough for the takeoff. The aircraft accelerated and at 110 knots, the FO called rotate. I eased the control back, however, nothing happened. I immediately looked at the ASI to see if I had set the bugs correctly. The bugs are three different coloured plastic markers, which you set manually on the outer rim of the ASI. The first one to denote V1, the second VR, and the third V2, which are the reference speed which must be achieved for the takeoff and initial climb. A phenomenon of chronic fatigue was for the pilots to set the bugs 10 knots slow. Never fast, just slow. And the strange thing was that the captain and the first officer would do this, and even after cross-checking each other's settings, we would both declare that they were set correctly, even when they were set 10 knots slow. This was common to all crews. As I had determined that the rotate speed was set correctly, my immediate thoughts were that I had an elevator control unlock. You can unlock the elevator in this aircraft in the event you have a stuck elevator. I pulled the control back until it hit the limiting stop, and still nothing happened. Oh, jeez, come on. We were accelerating very rapidly by this time, and there was precious little runway left. And the thought of going off the end of the runway and impacting the gravel piles in a country that does not have pethidine or morphine did not appeal to me. In an emergency, in the ATR, you can push the throttles out of the 90% detent up to a stop at the 100% position, and if needed, in case of wind shear and microbursts, 
you can push them further to the 115% position. In doing so, you feel the throttle start to rise as you have to push them up a ramp. It is designed this way so you know what you are doing without looking at the throttle position so as to prevent inadvertent excessive power demands. When you do this, you will cause excessive turbine rub and basically, when you land, you'll need to overhaul the engines, so not a good career move. As the aircraft did not rotate, the only thing I could think of was to get more air over the elevators. So I pushed the throttles forward and told the first officer, I'm going for maximum takeoff power. I'm going up the ramp. I felt the power levers hit the 100% position, and then I felt them start to rise up the ramp. Just as I had pushed them up a small amount, the nose slowly started to rise. So I took my hand off the throttles and held the control full back. The power levers fell back to the 100% position. Just after liftoff, I felt a small shudder, which I guess were the main wheels impacting one of the gravel piles off the end of the runway. As the aircraft accelerated, I started easing the control forward and trimming the aircraft back. Normally, the trim will sit at 1.0 or 1.2 rear for the takeoff, which is what was set. However, as we accelerated, I kept trimming back until the trim hit the 4.5 maximum rear position. We carried out the usual after takeoff procedures, and when complete, the first said, Thank God that's over. That was a close one. It isn't over yet. I'm not too sure if I can flare the aircraft for the landing. The en route part of the flight was uneventful. However, when we were cleared for the ILS, 30 nautical miles from the field, I began experimenting with speeds to see what speed was needed to give me sufficient control authority to flare for the landing. The speed was about 170 knots, normally about 135 knots, and after checking the Bible, it was above the brake energy limits and tyre speed limits for the aircraft. Again, not a good prospect. We proceeded with the ILS, and fortunately broke visual about 800 feet AGL, and I picked up the PAPI, Visual Precision Approach Path Indicator for landings, and maintained a normal approach profile at the higher speed to about 200 feet AGL. I then allowed the aircraft to get low on the PAPI as I was trying to flatten the approach to reduce the flare on landing. The touchdown went well and the tyres held together. After deceleration to normal speeds, I applied reverse thrust, then brakes, and taxied into the terminal. Landing checks, please. Please keep your seatbelts on until we have come to a complete stop. When we had parked, I asked the first officer to go and tell the baggage handlers not to take the bags and freight to the terminal, as I wanted to inspect them first. Yeah, tell the baggage guys to hold off for a moment, please. I just want to have a look in the cargo. Copy that. After completing the post-flight cockpit duties, I proceeded to the baggage trolleys and escorted them to the terminal and made them weigh all items. The result was 800 kilograms of freight manifested for the rear cargo hold had been placed in the forward cargo hold, with very little freight in the rear hold. I might point out that neither the first officer or myself checked the bags and freight after loading, as we had qualified loadmasters who took care of all this and it was not company policy for the tech crew to check where the freight was. We could have checked it visually, but without knowing the weight of the items, it would be impossible to know if there was a problem. After the engineers had downloaded the flight parameters into their laptop, they advised me that no engine damage had occurred. 
Apparently, I'd powered up to about 103% and only for a couple of seconds, so all was well. No damage was apparent to the undercarriage from the impact after takeoff. The loadmaster, responsible for the loading, had his employment opportunities immediately freed up. When an aircraft is loaded so far out of centre of gravity, you generally get really bad control problems, and if too bad, can be catastrophic. However, the ATR flew like a dream, even with a substantial out-of-centre-of-gravity position. This is a great testimony to the designers and builders of this aircraft, and some food for thought for my colleagues currently flying, as it is without doubt an emergency that just doesn't happen. However, it did to me. Makes you think, doesn't it?